who do we really like to do business with except for people we feel are like us and who have our best interest in mind? Hey guys, welcome to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. My name is Jared Morgan, and today we are going to have author Chris Brogan on the show. Now, Chris is an expert in a lot of things, and the things that we're going to talk to him about today are about connecting with people, finding a way to find your business's community and to connect with them, and then also finding the human side of entrepreneurship, how to find balance, how to do all the things that you can do to not just be successful, but to be happy along the way. All right, everybody, we've got an incredible guest lined up today. He currently serves as Chief of Staff at AppFire. He's also a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of such titles as The Impact Equation, Trust Agents, and Superheroes in the Basement. He is the co-host of another great business podcast you should check out called The Backpack Show, and he also regularly speaks professionally and consults such Fortune 500 companies as Pepsi, General Motors, and Microsoft. Everybody, please welcome Mr. Chris Brogan. Hello. It's good to have you here. How about that bio? Get you some of that, huh? Bios are scary to me because you, you're you never going to like beat them, right? Like you're, you're going <laughs> to, they're going to be, this guy's going to be amazing. And then you're like, no, it wasn't that amazing. Well, it's a lot of pressure to write a bio too. It's like, hey, listen, you have four sentences to sum up your worth in the world. And, and you could do it wrong. Like, you know, I, I try to do it kind of very humble because it's how I was raised. Um, I'm pretty much the most humble person I ever know. I've, I've won rewards for humility. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, so it's tricky. I mean, what's a bio supposed to do? It's supposed to warm people up to say, what do I think I'm going to learn from this guy? It's hard to do if you're, especially if you're like us kind of people where we do a lot of things. We're, we're like hyphen people, right? So that's not, it's not easy. You know, you're not just a fly fisherman. Yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, I was looking through and I was like, all right, I need to do like a condensed version of this and not rattle on for, you know, three, four minutes. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that we're really interested in as well as learning, you know, not only about what you're doing currently, but kind of how you got there. Like, tell us a little bit about those humble beginnings, where you started your career and how you kind of amassed all this stuff that you're doing currently. That old thing. Uh, Franklin, what happened was, you know, I, I started, uh, well, you know how I started was I started like any other employee. Um, there's, there's two kinds of employees, three, I guess. There's the kind that are just, they don't even know where they are. Like, you know, they're, they're checking in, checking out, getting the check. Uh, they're like, am I at the bank? You know, that's like, you know, <laughs> f- fat old Elvis or something. Then there's the people who are like, they have a drive from the minute they were born. Like, oh man, I need to be somewhere that I'm not. You know how like, like cats are always on the wrong side of a door. Like there's that person, right? They're just always got to be doing the thing that they're not doing at that minute. And that'd probably be me. I don't want to be a cat, but you know, that's accurate. And then I think that there's that sort of third person who um, feels like there could be a better way to do it, but just has no inkling or understanding how to do it. So they're just waiting for someone to lead. Um, I, I went into every employment opportunity I ever had as an employee uh, thinking, I wish I could make this better somehow. Or I wish I could do this thing. So I had an entre- entrepreneurial mind in the world of pre-cooked businesses. And I'll tell you, that's there's no, no you don't do that one, it turns out. Uh, it turns out there's, you know, there's certain things you shouldn't do, uh, and that one's one, because that's the whole point, is if someone's got a process in a system, an idiot like me doesn't come along and go, well, let me tell you how you could change this process. Like that's not, that's, nobody hired me to do that. They hired me to fit in. And so I messed up for decades until I learned what it meant to kind of run a business. And then I was pretty much unhirable for a lot of decades, which is when I went out to speak and consult and interact. And I worked, you you know, logo slides. I've got a cool logo slide. It's like Coke, Pepsi, Comcast, Titleist, um, General Motors, a uh, little bit of Ford, uh, all kinds of nice people, right? Like good names. Uh, but you know, all they wanted to know is just kind of like, how do you get to be you and so weird and stuff like that? And how do people relate to you and connect to you on the web? And can I do something like that with my company, no matter the size? And my answer was always like, yeah, sure. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways you can bring this to bear to talk to you know, regular people. So when everybody else was like, gee whiz, that social media is cool. You got to get you a Twitter. I was out there saying, <laughs> you know what you could do with a Twitter is like you could talk to people about what they're into. And so uh, that would be the, that would be kind of the big split in the road. 
most recently, and I'll let you all ask all some more questions. Um, most recently, I took a real life day job for the first time after running my company since 2009 for one reason. It's because my buddy Randall says, you know, can you come and run this company with me? We're getting ready to make some big moves. And I would love to have you on board to kind of like oversee a lot of the, the senior and executive leadership teams and kind of coach them through being who they need to be to for us to get there. And I said, oh my gosh, that sounds like fun because there's like five or 600 people. And I've been used to working, I've been used to running small businesses, talking to huge businesses. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to run a big business again? So that's why I'm, you know, doing an employee role because they don't, they don't have chief of staffs at three people companies. Uh, I mean, you could, you could, but what would you be doing? But you got, there's got to be enough people under the chief, right? That's exactly so it. You, one of the things that I was excited to talk to you about, you, you wrote a book and I don't know if this may be your most famous book or whatever, Trust Agents, right? Mm-hmm. And Trust Agents was, it seems to me, it was sort of like almost a little ahead of the curve and understanding how you can sort of harness what social media is and sort of the new media day. And it almost, it's interesting when you read Trust Agents now, it almost like you're describing what people who are now sort of referred to as influencers are sort of trying to be. Um, so could you tell us what a trust agent is? All right. So let's look back for a minute. Let's, let's, let's distance ourselves from influencers a wee tiny bit. Cause I don't know if you've ever been out to eat somewhere and you see someone taking a lot of Instagrams of their food and you're like, come on, <laughs> could you just put it in your belly? There's always somebody at the table that's just trying to get you to like, can we just eat? Yeah. I live in the kingdom of influencers. There's like certain spots you go in Austin, Texas, and there's to get the big sign or the, you know, you're my butter half. Angel wings on a wall, mm-hmm. Franklin. Angel mm-hmm. wings on yeah. a wall. It's everywhere. There's it's a like row of like 85 ladies waiting to get in front of the angel wings. <laughs> that specific one is in Nashville, but there's probably like a dozen just like it here. So you just come across them pretty frequently. You know, I just thought of, that'd be kind of a fun business making influencer traps. They have them now. There's a, there's a thing here in Birmingham that it's a chain, the selfie museum. And it's literally like you walk into a building and you pay like a hundred dollars to go in and with all these cool backgrounds. And I'm thinking like, boy, I don't know about this business. I know we're all going to die. That's what I think when I do this, (laughs) but like a trust agent, what the idea was, and, and it, this is a hard, this is still, this is years later. I published that book in 2009. Ten years later, I wrote another uh, updated version of it with my friend Julian Smith. And I said, um, people still aren't there yet. What we said, 2009, was we said, you could use these web tools to really connect. You could really use these tools to uh, be who you are at a distance. I'll give you an example. A big healthcare co- company uh, down in Kansas uh, Kentucky, I lied, it was a K, down in Kentucky, um, they said, hey, way back when Barack Obama was made president, he's really influencing the conversation about healthcare in this nation. What do we do about that? I said, go get to, get on Twitter, get some people. Get your people, they had these like healthcare centers that people walked into to like make sure their bill was okay and all that kind of thing. I set up, set up little Twitter to email things so they can ping their congressperson with just a couple of sentences. Now imagine somebody comes in and they just write a couple of sentences, you know, uh, I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough money for my health care next year. And that turns from a little tiny bit of a tweet to I know who your congressperson is. Here's a letter. It's a printed letter. It goes through the right process for government to do it all. That exists. Like that technology to turn a tweet into a printed letter to a congressperson existed and when I told the company about that, they said, well, and then their lobbying people said, mm, I'm not so sure. So a trust agent is, you know, if you want to sell cars, how do people sell cars? You buy some from people you trust, right? You buy from people you like. We can do that on the web. There's no reason you got to be hit. And what do I need to do? Smell you to make sure you took a bath? Like, I just need to know that you seem like a nice enough person. So the answer to that is no for Franklin, by the way. You know, what can you do? You don't need one every day. What is this? We're in Europe now. So you can you can, you can can learn a lot from someone, though, from how they communicate. And these tools are communications tools. So why don't we use them like that? Why don't we build relationships? That's what I set out to do when we wrote that book is say, you can build a real targeted system to reach the people you hope to do business with, not just people who like ribs. Yeah, well, that's our crow, right? So uh, the the thing that seemed like the the common thread with all the tactical stuff you talk about in that book is about authenticity and being uh, connected to people. So genuine connection and not 
you know, fluffery. And, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting is you gave an example of, um, you know, even be willing to maybe insult your own product or, or speak down for the, the things that you represent. Why would you do something like that? Because your product isn't everything for every instance, right? And it shouldn't be. Your product, you know, let's say you make, uh, uh, let's say you sell boats, right? And let's say your biggest boat is a 25-footer. Um, well, that's great if you're going to keep an eye of shore. Like if you're going to have one eye on the shoreline and you're going to be out there doing fishing and stuff like that, 25-foot is a really respectable-sized boat. Might even be a little big, might be a little ostentatious for some of your, your buyers, right? But if you're going to get into the ocean, you need 35 feet, right? You're not the right boat. So if somebody comes to you and you're, you you top off at 25 and they're like, I need a good ocean boat, you just got to go right at it and say, look, I don't sell that kind of boat. I'm so sorry. That's not our thing. I want to tell you who I would use if I were going to go and buy a 35 footer. You know, um, there's examples of this all through the history of selling where a company says, maybe you don't want a Cadillac. Maybe this would be the, the right time to pick up, a, you know, a Chevy for this piece. And then, you know, or a Buick, right? Someone will say, you know, Cadillac's a great car, but this this particular Buick is right in the price range and it's just this classy feeling, right? So when you, and that one, by the way, is the same car company, but that, uh, that opportunity to kind of sell into exactly what somebody wants, you've probably had that happen to you, right? And you get that feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this. Or someone talks you out of the more expensive thing and then you're the fool and you pay the extra money. Like you say, oh man, they try to talk me down to the half one. I'm going to buy the big one, right? And when you get home, you realize the half one was the right one. But, you know, they gave you the chance. I think this is how business can work. And this is who do we really like to do business with, except for people we feel are like us and who have our best interest in mind. That kind of reminds me, I think it was Volkswagen ran a similar campaign in the 60s uh, with their Beetle. They were trying to reinvent that company and they took a very modest uh, almost self-depreciating approach with it. And it worked really, really well. It's like a classic case study that you see in advertising classes in college. I wanted to talk a little bit more about social media. Uh, you've been a big proponent of it, you know, a big user of it. What, tell us what you think about the modern state of social media, like especially with the last couple of election cycles. You know, it's got a little bit frantic and a little bit dark. Do you share that opinion? Are you still optimistic about Twitter and those platforms, you know, especially with it changing ownership and everything? So what are your thoughts on the status of it in 2022? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. I think there's a, there's a lot of barbs and hooks in it, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there the way I feel it, which is I think nobody is guilt-free on how they use these platforms. I think that there's a there's a lot of negativity that get thrown on one side of the political spectrum compared to the other. And I think there's some merit to some of it. I, th I think what happens is if there's if you feel all right, let me let me. I went to Alabama one time to speak on behalf of Alabama Power, and uh, their top 100 customers were in the room. Who's the power company's top 100 customers? You know, they're in a blue hat in that room, right? So I'm in a room with these people. I'm from Boston. And the other people there were some people that are from kind of, you know, the coasts, let's say, to be polite. Well, when they had their little conversation, I could see the audience kind of looking off into space a little bit like, mm, these people are from the coast. So when I got there, I explained how I was from Maine originally, which is just another, it Maine's the South all over again. It just kind of repeats, you know, like we ran out of, ran out of paper, so we had to put it back up there again. Um, Maine is Maine has a lot of similar mindset to to smaller, more rural places because we are right. You know, we're we're a company, we're a state full of trees and potatoes, right? So <laughs> you, you hear about lobsters. Sounds delightful. That's just, that's just one down part, but you know, we have pine trees and potatoes. None none of which, by the way, do we sell anymore in Maine because you know there's other places to buy them now. So we're like everybody else in that way too. Like our big industry went away. Like iron went away, trains went away. You know, all that kind of stuff. So what happens? Uh, I say to that room, I feel like I, th I feel like we're not talking to everybody right now, and I think that's the biggest mistake. And I think the worst thing in the world is when people don't feel heard and understood. Humankind's greatest need is the need to feel wanted. That's uh, we got that from uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and all that. And uh, we have a whole lot of people who feel like change is happening way fast. That scares them too. They're not even anti-change. They're just like, can you slow down a little bit? 
You know, can you walk me through this one? I, I mean, I went my whole church career being told this isn't okay. And now you're saying, well, it is. And you got to be a friend with it. And, you know, there's all that going on in that. So I think who made all those social network platforms? Well, guess who did? People on the coast. Uh, uh, liberal, left-wing people made these platforms and said, the whole planet, come use it. Except maybe not you right-wing conservative people. Because <laughs> we, we want, want you to feel comfortable here. Because uh, you maybe don't agree with us 100%. So I think it's, I think everything that's happened is unfortunate. I think, I think that there's this crazy whipsawing going on right now that shouldn't be the way it is. You know what I mean? We're not, I think at this point we're fighting just to keep fighting. I don't think anybody believes half of the things we're yelling at each other. I think, I think we're just feeling it, you know, at this point. They can just give us a bunch of rocks and we can hit each other in the head for a while until we're done. But <laughs> is social networking, okay. Influencer marketing is dopey. Um, my friend Jason Falls, uh, a, a Kentuckian himself, uh, he wrote a book called uh, Winfluence, which is a really good book on how to really look at this. It has math in it, you know, because I know that social network people don't use math. They use likes. And uh, I, I tried. A, I went to my bank and I said, I had a whole lot of these laying around. Do you think I could like pay my mortgage? And they were like, no. Nope. Uh, <laughs> little, th little thumbs up, no. No thumbs likes, up. Likes, you could use no. cash. No pluses. Um, so I was, you know, I guess I had to use money still. It's a tough world, Jared. It, it, you know, the, I don't think everyone's getting a chance to say what they feel. And I think right now so everyone's so scared to say what they feel uh, because they got so beat down the last handful of years that we're all just kind of biting our tongues going, I don't know. Let's just Let's just see. It's hard these days to sort of figure out what, how to strike a balance as a business. Like, what, um, what sort of social things do you sort of plug into as a business? I always find it really um, distasteful. And my own business has done this a couple of times when you, you sort of send out like the, you know, Happy Martin Luther King Day tweet, and it just feels like this is, I don't No one was waiting to hear from your business to, to you know, say that. I, I, I don't really like, I, I think that goes back to the fact that it's just not genuine, right? And you want to, like, if you're genuinely plugged into a cause and genuinely motivated by it and genuinely doing something about it, I think that's a good thing to plug into and lend your name to and everything else. If you're just sort of like hanging yourself like a Christmas ornament on the hottest talking point of the day, I think that's disingenuous. There's, there's another thing that we forget a lot about social media because of the way the tools are set up. What do we get? We got big microphones, big cameras, right? It's all talk, talk, talk. You could say at every one of those holidays that that's, that's a little bit off for some people or a little concerning for some people. You can say at every single one of those, we're here to listen. You know what I mean? That's a very different sentiment than what you think about how Martin Luther King lived his life or didn't. You could say, we're here for you and we want to listen. We want your business and we want to earn that business. And so you got something to say or you feel a little off about something we've ever done, come on in and let's have a talk. You know what? I mean, what's going to work better for that? I mean, Jared, people will show up at your place. They'll bring a can of paint so you can finish that wall behind you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That, thank you. Some, it was bound to happen. We got how many episodes in where somebody talked about my unpainted wall. It's very distressed. Uh, I get it. <laughs> That idea reminds me a little bit about a thing I think I uh, heard Simon Sinek talking about. Like if you're a small business, like uh, join join the car or host the conversation, like host the party. If you want to build a community around your business, like have an open house or have some kind of social gathering where you invite potential employees or prospects to come and just talk and be heard. Um, so that's a, a great strategy. Uh, I know that one of your big things is building trust in, in business. What are some other ways that a new business uh, can really leverage these kinds of things and, and build a lot of trust? I mean, you got to get out to where the conversations are happening and you got to get on their side of the fence as best you can. I, I'm, uh, I went to an agricultural event in, in Indianapolis and that agricultural event really opened my eyes in a few different ways. One is I had no idea um, – how a good breeding bull, how much that was worth. Cause this guy bought his fiance, uh, a piece of livestock for a wedding gift. And I said, well, that sounds like you're going to sleep on the couch for the first year of your marriage. And, uh, they said, no, imagine you had a, something that could produce like the, the value of a Tesla once every couple of years or something like that. Once every year I went, Oh, so you gave her like a money printing machine that needs hay. And I said, yeah. 
The other thing I got was I met a government lady, and, and I'm not kidding. She showed up in like a little cow costume, and she had brownies and cookies. A government lady? Is that that's how you refer to a government lady? She was a government lady. That's how she called herself. She said what she does is she goes to farm events and farm uh, town halls and, and, and granaries and all those sort of places, and she has to say to them, the government just re, you know put up a new law, and it's going to mess you up even more. And that's her job all the time. Almost every single law that she's got to go represent is one that's going to hurt a farmer. And she has to go there and communicate it and hear back how everybody's feeling, right? That's her job. So she said, so I started dressing like a cow and bringing uh, cookies and uh, brownies. Because you could be mad at the U.S. government, but it's really hard to yell at a lady in a cow costume who fed you. Um, and so, like, they could get out their frustration, but they're going to do it as civil as they can. I think that is the most beautiful thing I ever heard. You see how that has nothing to do with Twitter or you don't got to be on Facebook or whatever. It doesn't matter which one you're on. You know, the tools are there. You should use the tools. Should you use TikTok? Don't know. It's run by a Chinese company and I got that weird feeling that someday we're going to go, you know, it turned out they were spying on us all that time. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't mean to be that way. Didn't they split TikTok off and and didn't they split like U.S. TikTok off and do I don't know it doesn't matter. <laughs> Look over here. I so one of the things you said there I thought was really interesting in the in your the, the story about the lady wearing the cow suit. One of the things I've found in social media is it's it's so much easier uh, for people to hate something or rage against something in the abstract, and it's so easy to do that on social media. And so one of the things I've found is. You know, we have there are people kind of in our community that get really spun up and upset about, um, you know, if, what 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 we've done with proctoring and things. I don't understand what this is and who's who's you know who's who's engaging with my students and things like that. And it's I've always noticed that the rhetoric and the heat always comes down when you are open to approaching the person as a real person and saying, "Here's my contact contact information. Let's get on a video call and I'll answer any question you'd like to ask." And people suddenly like. The guns drop down and they realize like, oh, these are this is actually people on the other side of this that are trying to do the right thing. And I think when you when you realize that that kind of connection makes it harder for people to be irrationally angry, um, then uh, then you can start to move things forward. But it's hard to do that in social media. It's so easy for people who have very little invested in throwing an angry tweet or something uh, at uh, either a celebrity or a business or whatever. Um, it's just so much, it just takes so little to do that. Uh, but the aggregate effect of that can have damage because there's not a connection there with what you're trying to insult. Oh, for sure. And I mean, on your side of things, you know, they, they hear changes happen and growth has happened. We're, oh my gosh, we all hate growth unless it's, unless it's beneficial to us, you know, or, you know, we all hate growth unless suddenly like, we're like, oh, wait a minute, that's actually better for me. I mean, I just went from paying my own health insurance for like 11, 12 years as a small business owner to having the company health insurance. And I'm like, you guys get these benefits? Woo! I'm like calling up people like, can I get an eyeball? And they're like, sure, get four. You know, like you can do anything with healthcare. It's amazing. So I've been going and getting tests and meeting people. I've been hanging around in doctor's offices. And, you know, if you pay them enough, you don't, they don't even hit you in the knee and the hammer. You can go hit other people with the hammer. It's so amazing. So people don't understand growth, right? So they get all messed up by that. They figure you made like $8 billion and you're getting ready to fly on Richard Branson's spaceship um, or the other one, Bezos. You know, you just pick one. Um, they don't get that. On the other hand, somebody like Elon Musk comes along and, you know, I mean, he named his daughter after like a typewriter mistake. Um, <laughs> so like you already like, how do you understand this fella? He says, I'm going to take over Twitter, and I think free speech is important. So, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll un unblock Trump or something, and everybody poops their pants. They're like, the world is ending. Um, you know, he, half of what he says he doesn't mean. He says it. He says, I just say things, see what people are all going to do. Um, he has a weird sense of humor. But, you know, if you're a gazillionaire, billionaire, and you got a drilling company, and you make flamethrowers for fun, and you launch rockets 
I mean, this guy has all the kid businesses. He's got electric cars, so you can play car, crash them up in your front yard. You got a spaceship company, and you got a drilling company, so you can go to the bottom of the, you know, make, you can make hyper race car tracks under the earth. Like, this is every kid in our backyard with matchboxes when we're kids. He's just doing it like a grown-up, right? Like, of course he's going to have some weird-ass ideas, right? I mean, he's is not it, normal. Aren't we going to read about this guy, Elon Musk? Aren't we going to read about him in 100 years like, I, I wonder how history is going to remember him because I, I like modern day people look at him with a with a suspicious eye or a lot of people do. Um, but I feel like I, I have a hard time pointing to another uh, business figure in sort of modern American history that has done more different types of things successfully than that guy. You know, I mean, you've got Henry Ford and you've got Steve Jobs and like, but for him, I mean, you, you said it, like a rocket company. He was a part of PayPal, you know, in the early days of moving money around on the internet. He is, you know, in the boring company. He's, It's pretty crazy to think that a single guy can do all that. And you're actually a good person to ask this question because you talk about it a little bit. How does a person like that uh, get so much done when there's only 24 hours in everybody's day? My, I have the same amount of hours that Elon Musk does, and yet he seems to be living eight lives simultaneously. You got to stack leaders on leaders on leaders. Now, this is what I'm going through in this company that I'm doing the work with. If we have a leader and they don't have anybody below them, like if the bench stops at that person, that's they got to go. Because at this point, we need people that are like they're training their successor, who's like working with their successor. We need the we need the the person pushing the widgets out, right? We need them to know how to do this uh, boss stuff. We need them to know how boss decision looks and smells like. Because we don't have time to give them that decision. We can't wait for them to ask a question. I make a comment all the time. If you're not spending more than 60% of your time kind of looking at the sky and wondering, oh, what am I going to do next? Like, if you're not doing that, then you're not doing this right. If you're more than 60% operational, you cost, you, something's going wrong in your business. You don't trust someone. You don't have the right leadership. We have a, a solid gold executive leadership team where I work, and we have a pretty good senior leadership team that's only getting better. And we're tightening it up. You know, we a um, lot of revenue growth in the last four years meant that a whole lot of people who are kind of mom and popping it suddenly went, oh gosh, we're a huge corporation. Some people made that turn in the road like they'd been waiting for it their whole life. And the other people slipped right off the side of the train into the bushes and were like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and off they went, right? You learn some things real quick in that, that not everybody can be saved. Not everybody's meant for the, the next big giant rung in that business. But growth is everywhere. Look at the world we're in right now. Nobody, okay, you may, you may or may not have a friend who's unemployed. The only reason they can be unemployed right now is if they have a really specific skill. You know what I mean? Like they're a violin tuner, something like that. You know, that could be one. Or like they have some other challenge going on in their life that has nothing to do with what they're capable of because my gosh, everybody needs employees. You know, we get, we get like a hundred and something job wrecks open right now. Uh, everybody I know does. And I think that in a world where there's that many job wrecks open, it means that something's going on. And one part of it is there's not the same stuff as what used to be. We need smarter people than what we had, which is tricky for some folk. And, it, and it's a growth world. Now, I know where you're all from and, and where I'm all from. So I, I lived in a mill city uh, with paper mills. This house I'm in right now is a, is a mill building where before there was Detroit and car companies, there was this kind of a place and we built upholstery for the benches on horse buggies, right? Any, any mill world that you've ever been in, any, any, any kind of world where your industry got ripped off, you know who everybody thinks, everybody thinks, well, there's no work here anymore. Well, it, there's always work around. It just isn't what you think it is. Now it's through a, you know, a gigabit line from Comcast and, you know, doing the work where it's going to be. Silicon Valley drained out. New York drained out. All those people went to other places like Seattle and Oregon and uh, Colorado. And so now your neighbor in Denver, you know, one of them's like trying to make it by with their, their small, tiny farm. And then, and then the guy beside him is, you know, inventing the new PayPal or the new Stripe or something like that. That's what the world's going to be. The world's going to be a very distributed bunch of crazy technology. Yeah, and I think the pandemic really like accelerated that, didn't it, right? Because it made it so that people can be spread out and working together and 
I, you know, I, I talked to a bunch of people who, you know, when their business was sort of picking their head up after 2020, you know, they started saying, hey, maybe, you know, let's think about when we can ever come back to the office. And people were like, I don't even live there anymore. I moved six states away. And uh, so I, I think businesses are all trying to figure out if you have employees, how do you how do you spread people out like that, but still have the same kind of camaraderie and connection that you had when you bumped into people in the break room? You're not wrong. And, and by the way, my gosh, I went to an event in Vegas, like an annual event for this particular industry. And there's nothing like the hugs and the feelings and the possibly a couple too many beverages and some of that sort of thing that can happen when you're in a place like Las Vegas. Um, and there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that feeling of being around people. And you're just like, oh, even I'm an introvert. Oh, my gosh. I'm the king of introverts. And I was like, people, I want to hug a bunch of strangers, which I didn't because I didn't want to get COVID. But um, I feel like there's that. Like, we're going to still kind of need to satisfy that a little. And I think there's times like brainstorming and stuff like that where it's, it's so much better to be in a room. Because like, if you could choke the person with a stupid idea, you just feel so much better. Um, and then I just think otherwise, we can maybe work distributed now. You uh, talked a little bit about challenges earlier, specifically with an organization. Um, but I read somewhere that uh, you personally maybe have suffered with a little bit of depression in your life. So I'm curious... Uh, how you are able to maintain such a successful career, you know, kind of, and overcome that challenge. So a lot of bit of depression. My, um, my old shrink used to say that I, I have a minor case of major clinical depression. Um, basically what that means is depression, people who are depressed are like, you know, oh, something crappy happened at work, you know, or they didn't have your lunch at the lunch line today. But uh, depression is there's a whole bunch of chemicals that go through your body and they're just sitting there ready to push your ice cream right off the cone, you know? So you're sitting there and you're like, hey, today's not a bad day. Yes, it is. And that's what depression is. Depression is like driving around with the emergency brake on. So it's not fun and it's a chemical thing. And there are some chemicals that can help with it. There's a lot of things that can muck with it. So like sleep uh, is a problem. There's a bunch of other stuff. So if you don't sleep well, you're pretty much not going to fix your depression. You're going to rely on some drugs to get it. You know, there's a lot of stuff. Um, I call it out at every turn. I, I, I mentioned that I deal with depression a lot. I'll throw it in the conversations. Never woe is me. Like it's never like, you know, oh, poor me. I've got depression. I always just say, you know, I have to tell you at times like this, when you make me fill out a form like this, this is where my, my I realize, oh, right, I deal with depression because like this form is killing me. You know, sometimes, the, you know, the friction points in our in our world are where I really feel it. Almost like that Temple Grandin uh, with her autism. She could tell you where cows weren't going to do so well on the way to slaughter. Well, I feel like that. I feel like I could tell you right for sure where someone with depression is not going to have a good day. Um, I call it all out. I think it's not any different than saying I need glasses or I got diabetes or any of those things. I don't think I don't think it benefits anyone to hide it. I don't think it's a shameful thing to have it or deal with it. I think you just have to to pick it up. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't get, you know, depression didn't show up because uh, I eat too much or something. Depression doesn't show up because, you know, um, I don't know, I had some financial difference, some other humans. Depression helps make those things trickier. That's all. So I find that I write about it a lot. I cover it a lot. I always like to do it to say that you can you can do all right even with and despite having depression to deal with. I think it's always beneficial for people to see that because then they go, well, there goes another excuse. And they got to, you know, they're going to come up with an even better excuse than that one because, the, you know, you can, you can really succeed and thrive with depression. You just maybe need things a little different than other people. You know, uh, Franklin, one example, I love naps. I am really good at naps. I could sleep like anybody's business 2 30 p.m almost any day of the week i will absolutely be unconscious um but that's it you know what i mean like I, I need to space things out a little more than other people but you know who feels happier a dude whose schedule doesn't look like a big solid line every day you know what i mean my, my looks like i could go fishing you gotta find where your balance is right i mean for some people 
know, we talked about this in a, in a previous episode. It's like your life is a balance, right? You've got your sort of personal life and your professional life and sort of like your what's bigger, your spiritual life. And you got to keep those things somewhat in balance. At times you're going to, your schedule is going to be a straight line. You're going to run out of balance, but you've got to come back to that equilibrium uh, and, and over leverage in the parts of your life that you've been uh, even, and that may be your personal life. Like your personal life may have been taken over and you've got to leverage back in your career too. Um, you know, it's, it's so, it's so cool to hear you talk about that though, because I, you know, as much as we are sort of complaining about the state of the world and things, you know, we're fortunate to live in a period of time where we can openly talk about things like anxiety and depression and understand what they are and where you should go with that kind of a, of an issue. And I think we get, you become a stronger person when you can sort of accept that this is a problem like any other health problem that you can take care of. And we're a better society when it's okay for people to be open about that and correct it and try to be their better self. It's, we, so as much as we complain about today's world, it's great to be in a place where, um, you know, mental health is something you can talk openly about. Now, Chris, if you met uh, an entrepreneur or someone with an entrepreneur mindset who is maybe right on the verge of stepping out and building their own thing, but they were, they were full of doubt and anxiety and you could kind of tell, and since that's something you've, you've dealt with openly, what are some things that you would tell that person? Like, you know, what's some advice that you would give? All right. So let me be super self-serving first. I wrote a little tiny book that you can get on Amazon called It's Not About the Tights. Um, I stole that from Lance Armstrong's old book. It's not about the bike. Cause you know, people used to ask him what kind of bikes that like, as if that's how we got through the tour de France was the bike. Um, so I wrote a superhero book called it's not about the tights. And the idea is that, uh, anyone who wants to succeed and kind of build their, their personal bravery, they need to work on their Cape and Cape is a, you know, acronym. So it's confidence, acceptance, permission, and execution. So what's that teach you? So how do you get confidence? You get it from little places. Someone says, hey, you know, you have a really nice hat there or whatever. And you go, oh, I feel pretty good about that. I'm glad I wore the hat. You know, what's acceptance? You know, acceptance never means that you uh, forgive someone, for instance, right? You just kind of ex you accept that something's where it is right now. You know, um, your other half leaves you. They decide, you know what? I cannot go on another one of these crazy business launches again. I'm done with you. I'm taking the kids and going to grandma's house. You're done. Oh, well. Now I got to accept that that happened. You can't like it. You got to be sad. You got to try to fight and get that person back. Whatever you got to do or not do, right? But you have to accept that's where you are. Because humans mess up when they don't accept where they are. Humans mess up when they're like, you know, that you don't do that with your gas gauge, right? You don't go, oh, well, it says it's empty. <laughs> Right. We do this as a human all the time. Right. We all the time. We're like, well, I think I'm tired and ready for a breakdown. <laughs> you know, and we go and do something dumb. Uh, permission is the third one. You got to grant yourself permission. I'm amazed how many people are still waiting around for the permission fairy to come and hit them with a wand. There is no permission fairy. So I am the permission fairy. I have a little tutu and all that. I can come and hit you with my own sparkly wand. You got to grant yourself permission. And then the third one, uh, fourth one, I should say, is execution. You got to do. One of the things that people get all messed up with launch is like, I'm going to launch a car company. No, you're not. L launch something super small. Launch something like I'm going to launch a car company that makes a prototype car, and I'm going to try to pitch that prototype car to raise some money. You're going to launch a car prototyping company, right? You know, buy, make a smaller bite. People do this thing like they're going to eat a 32-ounce steak. I love a 32-ounce steak if I can eat it four or five, six ounces at a time, right? So you got to do like that. And I think that that's, that's the way to get through it. And that's also, you know, like we all played video games when you were younger, man. If there was a save button in a video game, that was your entire life was like, whew, I saved, right? Because you know that the monster is going to come around the corner and wipe your dude out because you don't know how to do the next part. Like, oh, man, I'm glad I saved. And you go back to that. That's life, right? If you get a save place in life, you could try a few swings at something. That's how you get ahead, and that's how you work on your your confidence. Mm, that's so good. Like you know, speaking of games, like another thing that you talked about in trust agents that I thought was super interesting was you talked about trying to treat life like a game, right? And and how do you you know sort of use all the tactics of being really good at a game to achieving things in life? What do you mean by that? 
you there's there's what's in front of you and then there's a game that you can overlay on it and there's it's it's up to you to pick what game decide what the rules of the game are and everything like that so i have a game with the two of you which is how many times i make you nod and i am i am winning <laughs> you're so, winning i am winning so that's how i know i did all right on my interview right so i was just like how many times i'm gonna make you nod now you're screwed because like you're either gonna try not to nod which looks weird uh you know or at least you'd be self-conscious you'd be like oh no i'm doing it again um, but, but the game is what's something there that not everybody else, you know, you, you hang out with your 40 hour employee friends and they're all just doing the same dumb thing you're doing. Well, you're going to be a 40 hour employee friend your whole damn life unless you come and think about, you know, what else you're going to do. Right. So maybe mine is, can I get an extra thousand in the bank this month? Maybe that's my game. Right. And I start and I, and I, I say yes to myself and I'm at the, I'm at the restaurant and that, you know, that server says to me, you want, what do you want to drink? And I say, I'm going to get a Sam Adams. And they go, you want that 22 ounce one? And I get ready to say yes. And I go, you know what? I'll just have water to drink, <laughs> you know? Cause then you realize it's like a, you know, nine or so dollar, 22 ounce, uh, Sam Adams. And you're thinking of trying to get that thousand bucks in your bank this month. You know, people always say these dumb things to you. Like I couldn't come up with 5,000 bucks if I tried. And I say, what if I sold you a Ford 350? Brand new 2022 Ford 350. Can I get it to you for 5,000 bucks? You will find me 5,000 bucks. That's not how it works, right? So that's how I do it. I think the key word in that phrase is tried, right? Couldn't even get 5,000 if I tried. Well, what have you tried? <laughs> tried everything and they're all out, out of ideas already. Chris, one of the last things I wanted to ask you was, it, you know, we try to we try to make sure that when we get smart people like you on, um, that we leave some advice for people that are starting a business. And so rather than saying, you know, what would you tell somebody that's starting a business? I think, you know, if you go through all of your work, you, you really go back to like genuine connection is kind of like a, a common theme with a lot of the stuff you talk about. So for someone who's starting a new business or starting a new project, um, how do they find connection? First of all, how do they find the community that they need to connect with? And then how do they find the, how do they find a way to connect with that community? What if I give you a book to read or even an audio book to listen to as a homework assignment for that? So I'll tell you, I just read one that I loved so well. Um, I'm going to tell you what it's called. It is called Make No Small Plans. And it's written by like, I don't know, 800 guys, Elliot, somebody, rather Brett, somebody, Jeff, somebody. Make No Small Plans. These guys did something called the Summit Series, and then they, I think, just renamed it to Summit or something like that. And this this group of people, at every turn, just made the craziest events, and then and then just did like you just couldn't believe what they were going to pull off or whatever. And one of them, they got you know everybody's favorite hillbilly president, Bill Clinton. They got him to come and speak, and they needed two hundred fifty thousand bucks to get him to speak. That's how much he takes for his. Uh, charity or whatever like he just makes you make a donation to that charity and it was right down to the wire it was right down to the short hairs that they were going to get that 250 but they used bill as kind of the linchpin to get everybody to be there so it was kind of like they couldn't afford bill but they pretended they could and they got bill to say yes and they got them to not take the check until after the event and they like it's kind of like landed that plane on the skids um i think that i think that the audacity that's in that book is amazing and and it you know okay these guys do come from places like New York and all that but they end up in Colorado and they end up like the whole way there they're just making their own game they're just doing their own thing and i think that even if you for whatever reason were weird enough to think you couldn't think big you could at least look at how they did it and sort of think a couple layers down and go i could at least do that i guess right it's uh, There's this guy named Seal. He said, in a world full of people, only some want to fly. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I think that's true. That's song lyrics. Makes no small plans. Definitely sounds like a, a Jared type book or saying. I feel like I've heard you talk talk about that kind of thing before. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, you, you, you said it, Chris, like you got you to gotta have some audacity uh, to start to, when we started Proctor U, the idea that we were going to, uh, you know, connect with people over the internet and allow them to take their exam at home was a novel 
kind of ridiculous idea. At the time we were doing that, like not every computer had a webcam in it. So it was really like, oh, I think I've heard of webcams. You know, a lot of people would say. And it took a lot of audacity to to start doing that. And then and then sort of some of the way part through that uh, journey, I remember sitting some people down and really laying out this vision for um, how we could transform the way people take tests all over the world. And it was audacious. And I remember kind of getting some weird looks or whatever. But a lot of that came to be through a lot of hard work and good timing and all these other things. And so you but you can't you can't really get anywhere meaningful if you don't um, at least try. Right. I mean, you step out, you know, it's I heard somebody say the other day, you know, congratulations to people who start a business and fail because most people don't even start. Right. And you got a lesson that other people don't have. It's just so hard for people to start, come up with a plan and actually go for it. That's half the battle for a lot of people. That's a, I'll give you that uh, as part of my methodology. I take a hundred shots, and if I hit two and you took zero shots, I did two better than you. And um, when I play video games, my my gamer tag is bad aim, bad jokes, um, and it, it's true. It's really accurate. I, I, horrible jokes, and I can't hit a thing. I play shooter games all the time, and my friends are like, "Why don't you play like Mario Kart?" Like you can just ride in a cart. No one has to know how bad you are. You're just in the bag going, hur, hur. but like, no, I play shooter games where it's essentially living proof that I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a barn. Um, but if I take a hundred shots and I get the person down cause they haven't even fired once I win, you know, and that's business, right? Business is you make a hundred cold calls. You know, the, you know, the strongest salesperson in the world, the one that can say, thank you. A hundred no's. You know what I mean? Because they're going to get a yes. They're going to get a yes eventually, or they're going to find out eventually, man, I did this wrong a hundred times. Let me see if I can figure out another way to do it, right? But but so many people are so afraid. Someone's like, oh, they hate me. They don't hate you. They're not even thinking about you. They're back to eating their pork chop right now. They don't care. They're not worried about anything, you know? And you're sitting there like, oh, man, I must be the worst person in life. No, you're just not the right guy for that thing. How many times have we seen a product that we thought we could use at the wrong time and said to that person, man, I'm really sorry. This isn't the right time for me for this. I don't, I don't think I can take this one on. If that guy walks away thinking they suck, you know, they didn't do anybody any good. Like they didn't do their company any good. They didn't help themselves. They sure didn't help me because if I just said, I don't think this is the right time, you know, the great follow-up. Well, when do you think it'd be a good time to even check in with you again? Now we're talking, right? So, Jared and Franklin, man, you know, I think the kind of people who are, look, this isn't called the super fast smoked barbecue. <laughs> this isn't called microwave. This is called, you got to get there slow. This all life is like that, right? All life is, you know, figuring out timing. And I think that a lot of times it's that it's, it's also that weird self-esteem thing. I think, and everyone's, you know, I, I have a terrible, terrible thing to bestow upon your entire listenership. None of us can read minds. I thought I could. I thought I could read minds. And I was like, man, I asked that girl out and she said no. And it's because she knows I'm such a loser. <laughs> you know, and it turns out she didn't even like fellas, you know, or it turns out that, you know, she's got, she's got four boyfriends, you know, whatever. Right? Or she's a serial killer and I'm just a little too big and fat. Like she couldn't take my body. So she said, no, she saved me. Right. I could have been dead. That girl could have killed me, but I'm so heavy it would have been like a lot of work for her to get me in the fridge. Of all the options you laid out in that scenario, not all of them crossed my mind. I'll say that, but yeah. Uh, well, okay. I mean, not everybody's into four boyfriends at once. I get it. <laughs> but suffice to say, you know, we can't read minds. And so we ought to probably try to presume that it's not us. Let's try some new ways to do it. Let's try some new ways to ask the question. Let's ask different people. There's like 600 variables to, to get to before it's probably you. Yeah, I mean, in the manifesto that we did in the run-up for this show of why we called it Slow Smoke Business, you know, we say we think business is kind of like a piece of barbecue, right? I mean, you go, you, Frank was talking about the brisket in, in Texas, right? You go look at a piece of Texas brisket and it looks, you know, go, you go to a barbecue place and they slice it and they put it on your plate and it's quick and it's there and it's delicious and you sort of have this tendency to think about it as this like really neat and tidy, easy thing and it's hard to envision not just what in what in what into excuse me, not just what went into making that piece of barbecue that's on your plate, but what went into 
the craftsmanship and learning that craftsmanship over years to get there. And we kind of feel like building a business is the same way. You know, you you hone a lot of skills. It's slow. You make decision after decision after decision. And, you know, soon you sort of look up and you realize, man, I've made it pretty far, a lot further than I thought I could all because you're sort of taking one step at a time and doing the the little things right over and over and over again. And I think that, you know, the Instagrams of the world, if you read like the story of where Instagram came from, went from like launch to a billion dollar sale in 18 months. And that is just that screwed up so many entrepreneurs reading that story, thinking that that's how this works. And like, oh, maybe it'll take us twice as much time. We'll get to a billion dollars in three years. And no, that's not how that's that is like four lightning strikes in a row. That's how rare that is, right? It's just not going to happen that way. And it's a bad strategy to think you're going to do that. You have to actually think, okay, I'm going to be climbing this ladder and I'm going to keep making positive progress. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get somewhere because of all that boat rowing that I'm doing instead of just trying to throw Hail Marys and look for lightning strikes like that. You're absolutely right. Franklin lives, lives next door to Michael Dell. And you know what Michael Dell did earlier on? That dude, uh, you know, liked computers, thought computers were cool. And back in the day, you could go and you could order the parts to add stuff to a computer. And he knew that no one else was going to do that. So he'd call like a law firm up and say, you know, you probably just bought a computer. And they're like, sure, dude. And he says, well, it's probably slow as dirt, slow as slower than dirt. And he goes, well, I got the stuff to make it fast. Can I fix it? Sure. And he started selling a product everybody wanted. And Dell is a slow cooked business, right? Like Dell is smoked right through because he just figured out, here's how I'm going to do it. Oh, okay. Now I'm at a new level. Here's how I do it. Oh, I don't know how to do the next level. I'm going to find a friend. Okay. Here's how we're going to do it. Oh, that didn't work. Let's go back a little. Right. It's all that way. You're so right. Jared. Instagram is the worst example. Any of those places, the worst example because that's so not anybody. None of us are going to do that. And if you do, good for you, but you didn't listen to this podcast. If you did that, like you're just very fortunate in timing and trying to trying to uh, gamesmanship, something like that, rare happening, is a bad strategy. You're going to end up running out of money or running out of whatever before you ever get there, right? Um, it's just easier to think about business as a path that you're on. And as a, as, you know, we always say, you know, Climbing the stairs, looking at the first couple of stairs in front of you. Don't look at the stairs at the top because you'll trip on the ones you're on, right? Keep making good decisions on the stage you're, you're in, and that's how you can get somewhere, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Chris, it was it was so great to have you here. This was like, we went a lot longer than we normally do, but we were just enjoying the conversation. Um, I love your books. I love you even better. Like, it's so nice to have you here and, uh, and hopefully we can get you back sometime. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, fellas. Thank you for having me on. It was a real uh, honor for me to be here. Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. Now, if you found something on this episode that was valuable, we would love it if you would go into where you're listening to this podcast, give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and maybe tell a friend, see if they could get something valuable from this show too. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.